Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. This is the Lord's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But show you steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Today we have a, a special guest uh, to bring us God's word. It's God's word. Uh, his name is Pastor Hisan Shin. The title of his sermon is The Lord of the Sabbath. He's married to Lindy. Lindy with three boys, I believe. Three boys. So we have all girls here, so we're like enamored by that. Three boys. Uh, he was a missionary in China before the Lord called him back here. Uh, he is at RTS currently, and he'll be starting as the EM pastor at ACCC North uh, here in Johns Creek, so it's a neighbor church of ours. And he's also a good friend, but I'll let him introduce himself a little bit more. And uh, thank you for coming and sharing Let's give us a round of applause.
thank you so much for giving me a chance to stop by and worship together. Thank you, Pastor Young, for the invitation. Um, yeah, just a little bit more about myself. Um, I grew up in Korea, moved to the U.S. when I was in first grade uh, in New Jersey, and I went to school in upstate New York. And like most good, you know, 1.5 generation children are supposed to do, I majored, or I started majoring in computer science, mostly because I, uh, I loved StarCraft. Um, <laughs> that was legitimately the reason. Me and one of my closest friends, we had dreams of working for Blizzard. Now the difference between he and myself is that he actually did end up working for Blizzard. Um, so he, if you watch the credits, his name is on there. I, uh, I couldn't cut it in computer science though, um, and I ended up majoring in religion. And it was one of the hardest, but most rewarding decisions that I've made in life. After college, I served uh, as a pastoral intern at the church that I had been attending in, in college. And then I also interned with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And it was after that that I uh, turned my uh, heart toward China, and I spent about seven years there living in Beijing and uh, as a missionary ministering there. Uh, I got married along the way. Uh, we returned to the U.S. Uh, we've got three boys, Calvin, uh, Theodore, and Simeon. And uh, our firstborn is named Calvin because of John Calvin, just you know, what reformed nerdy people do. But Theodore um, is named after someone that most, most of you may not have heard of. And his name is Theodore Beza. Theodore Beza was John Calvin's successor at the chapel in Geneva, Switzerland. They were friends. Uh, Theodore Beza was Calvin's biographer. Um, now, Simeon, our third, was named after Charles Simeon. And he was maybe the greatest preacher uh, in, in Europe, next to you know, Charles Spurgeon, perhaps. And Charles Simeon became the pastor at Trinity Chapel at Cambridge University when he was just in his mid-20s. And the folks of that chapel at Cambridge hated Charles Simeon so much that they bought up all the pews, locked them up, locked the front doors, so that no one else could be there when he preached. And after a lifetime of enduring and a lifetime of preaching and teaching God's word, no less than, I can't remember, like 1,500 people turned up for his funeral on the day he died at the end of his life. So that's a little bit about me and my family. Um, now before we begin, can we say a short prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh how we need you every hour. I pray that even now you would lavishly shower us with your blessing through your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would do his marvelous work of making truth real in our hearts and our minds and in our lives and transforming us to become more like the Son. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. I grew up doing Taekwondo, like everyone else. But when I was in eighth grade is when I really took Taekwondo seriously. And, and what happened in eighth grade is there was a tournament uh, on a particular weekend that was very important. Now the problem with this tournament is that it was on Sunday. So what am I going to do about tournament and church? This tournament was supposed to start early morning and, and go the whole day. And if I attended the tournament, it would mean that I would miss church. Now, 
if I went to church, that would mean I would miss one of the most important tournaments for me. Now, growing up, you know, I, I was taught that going to church was a priority. Sundays were the Lord's day. It belongs to the Lord, and therefore, I could not miss church. But this was such an important tournament. It happens once a year, and I was training really hard for it. And in fact, um, I was a part of our school's you know, demo team, and we had to be there. So there was really, I was you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place. What was I supposed to do that day? What would you do? Now, before I tell you what I did, um, we need to think carefully about this question because on one hand, you could reason yourself to say, it's just one tournament, Hisam. You've got a, a long, possibly, career of sports ahead of you. Hisam, it's just one Sunday, and if you die that day, you're going to heaven, no big deal. And if you don't, you've got a long life ahead of you, and you can worship, and you can continue to be faithful to the Lord. It's, but we have to think about this question carefully. And I recognize that even in this room, there's probably a, a variety of different ideas, personal habits regarding the Sabbath day. And, and no matter what your personal habits about Sundays and Sabbath days may be, regard, no matter what your convictions may be about what the Scripture teaches, I think we can all agree on one thing, and that is the Word of God does speak to this issue. And the Word of God does intend on transforming our hearts and minds and our lives to align with the will of the Lord and ultimately to become more like Jesus Christ. So, before I tell you what I did that Sunday morning, we need to go to the Word. And I'm going to structure this sermon in four parts. It's there in your uh, handout. We're going to talk firstly about our beliefs. Then we'll talk about our actions. We will talk about our hearts. And then we'll wrap up with the gospel. And today, you know, we read through that incredible passage where Moses receives the law. We're going to focus on verse 8. So let me just read verse 8 once more. It says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The question is simple and obvious here. What does the Bible say about the Sabbath? And what exactly is the Sabbath? So many of you probably grew up memorizing these Ten Commandments. But did you notice that the Fourth Commandment is very special? It is unique among these other commandments because most of the commandments are simple and short one-liners. Do not murder. Pretty simple. But this fourth commandment comes with its own little commentary. So let's read one more time verses 9 through 11 that uh, follow verse 8. Here's what it says. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, 
the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. What is the main point of verses 9 through 11? This little commentary, the main point is simply this, that, that no one should work on the seventh day of the week because God set the rhythm of work and rest during that first week in creation. Here's what that means for you and me. When God gave Moses that fourth commandment, what he's telling Moses by verses 9 through 11 is this. That rhythm of work and rest was not a one-time event for himself. It was actually a rhythm of work that was given to people for repetition. Have you ever wondered, why did God rest on the seventh day? Was he tired? As if an omnipotent being could be tired. No, it wasn't actually just for himself. No, God is telling Moses, I did that for you. You now take my rhythm and repeat it throughout your life. And remember, this rhythm of work and rest, that happens before Genesis chapter 3. It happens before sin enters the picture. And what that means is that this rhythm was a good thing. This was perfect universe thing. So what we now know is that this rhythm of work and rest, this Sabbath day, this rhythm of life, is for the here and now. That's the first little nugget that we need to kind of catch, but there's more to the Sabbath that we need to know. So not only is it for the here and now, but God did that on that first week of creation to indicate something about the future. In other words, that Sabbath rest, the way that God rested on the seventh day, is an, is an anticipation. It is a preview for our rest with God in eternity. It's sort of like this. Like any good storyteller, God was giving hints at the beginning about how things will turn out at the end. You know, I guess it's like what people say. You know, people say life is a rehearsal in eternity. You know, it's this notion that God has bookended reality in the beginning and also that showing us how it's going to end in eternity. And that notion of our Sabbath rest indicating our eternal rest in the future, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews was talking about in chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews. So, one more time. The Sabbath, it's about our here and now. It's about today. It is also about our eternity, our future. But there's one more thing that we need to know about the Sabbath, and that is the Sabbath day is about our faith. So let's think about Old Testament stories. When you think about Sabbath day, what Old Testament story um, comes to your mind? A, a story in the Bible that uh, revolves around this concept of Sabbath? Well, the one that comes to my mind that I want to point your attention to is the story of the Israelites as they wandered around the desert and they got hungry and when God gave them bread from heaven, manna. One of the most well-known stories 
And so you know what happens. The Israelites were hungry and they began to complain. And so when God gave the Israelites this bread from heaven, what did God tell them to do specifically? God said, for example, do not gather more than what you need. And you know what happens when they did when they disobeyed the Lord, that, that portion that they gathered above what they needed would rot. But what about, you know, the days of the week? So they were supposed to gather days one through five according to what they would need. And then on day six, they were told to gather a double portion. Why? Because on the seventh day, they were not supposed to work. So let's think. If an Israelite on a, on a seventh day went out of his tent and wanted to gather manna in violation of God's command, what would happen? Well, it's very simple. There was no manna. There wasn't any stuff on the ground for him to gather. It was an act of futility. In other words, working on that seventh day just would not work. In other words, if you think about it in, in an opposite way, not working on the seventh day, therefore, becomes an act of faith and trust that, yes, God, you told me that on days one through five, I must gather only enough, and on day six, I'm allowed to gather a double portion, and God, I will trust and believe that my family will be well fed, even if I don't work on that seventh day. Because even if I did try to work, there's no manna out there anyway. You see, brothers and sisters, this Sabbath day, as, as, as um, kind of uh, displayed in this story, is an act of faith. It is about what you believe. It is about your trust in the Lord that He will provide. So let's review one more time. The Sabbath command, that fourth command, it's about your life today. It's also about your eternity. And it's also a way to diagnose your trust, your faith, your heart. So now we know what the Bible says about the Sabbath. But let's talk about what you are actually supposed to do. Let's really figure out how this applies to you and to me. So let me tell you now, this is probably a good time to tell you, what happened that Sunday morning when I was in 8th grade, when I was faced with a decision, church or taekwondo tournament. Again, I knew that going to church was a non-negotiable. So here's what we did. My mother, she got the keys to the church from my pastor a day before, and the two of us, we woke up that Sunday morning bright and early at 5 a.m., and my mother drove me to church, just the two of us. And we spent half an hour at church in worship, prayer, before heading off to the tournament. And I wish that I could say that the half hour that I spent that morning helped me to win the tournament. But it did not. <laughs> As it turns out, I did really bad. And in fact, I did so bad that I cried. It was super embarrassing. But the point that I want to share with you is that I was so grateful to my mom because um, she instilled in me, at least that day, that losing a few hours of sleep 
there's a small price to pay for keeping the Sabbath. See, what my mother knew is that keeping the Sabbath is incredibly important. Really, if you think about your life, there's not much else that could compare to the seriousness and the beauty of keeping this day holy. In fact, it is so serious that if you read the Old Testament, you would know that the punishment for violating the Sabbath command was execution. But now, we need to take a quick time out here because as I look back on that experience, after a few decades of reflection, my heart is conflicted about what transpired that Sunday morning. Now, on one hand, I am incredibly grateful to my mother and her sensibilities that she instilled in me to make Sunday worship a priority in my life. But if you're thinking and kind of reading between the lines here, uh, you, may, um, you may get a sense of my, my, uh, the conflict in my heart because on the other hand, I think there was something missing in how we handled that Sunday morning. Now, we went to church, my mother and I. We prayed together. We sang some hymns. We read the Bible. And, you know, on the surface, what we did that day, it was an act of keeping the Sabbath holy. But there was something missing in our holiness. There was something more that this day is supposed to be than just entering a building, reading from this book, and singing a few tunes. What was it that was missing for me and my mother? In order to pinpoint the missing piece, we need to back up here. Lest we fall into a legalistic vision of what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. Because let's face it, just because you enter a church building does not mean automatically that you have kept the Sabbath day holy. There's something more, isn't there? And in order to pinpoint that missing piece, we need to understand what the word holy means and how the Bible paints a vision of holiness. When the Bible describes holiness, what does it actually look like? And now there are a lot of things that we can say at this moment and we can spend hours kind of diagnosing this, but there's one thing, just one thing, that I want to put before you as an integral piece of what it means to keep the Sabbath day holy. And I'll just say it right here. If you look throughout the Bible, what you will find as a common thread in God's command to keep the Sabbath day holy is that He wants you and me to keep this day holy together. In other words, holiness is incredibly difficult alone. Of course, God wants individuals to be individually holy. Yes, that is a part of what it means to be set apart or different and unique. But when God gives that command to Moses, and when it is reiterated throughout the scriptures, it is virtually always in the context of the community of God. It is impossible for you to keep this day holy together. Listen, for example, in Leviticus 19. 
speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you all shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. And look, and you, every one of you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. You see, in Leviticus or in Exodus, throughout the scriptures, the desire of God is for His people as a group to be holy and keep the Sabbath together. You know what this means for you and me? It means if you wake up on Sunday morning and you're just not feeling it, it is probably not enough for you to stay in bed and just watch Matt Chandler talk to you and say, I have kept the Sabbath holy. Bedside Baptist Church is not the solution. Keeping the Sabbath holy requires, or rather it assumes, that the people of God will come together. So when my mother and I, when we went to church that morning at 5 a.m., did we keep the Sabbath holy? Well, he's saying, yeah, I guess technically you and your mom, that's a community, right? Whatever. I think what was missing in our hearts that morning is, at least for me, I didn't know what it meant to keep the Sabbath holy as a family. And I hope that you and I today will realize and understand the heart of God when He, when he wants us to keep the Sabbath holy because, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we've talked about what the Bible says about what Sabbath is and how we need to keep the Sabbath holy together as our action. But in this section about our hearts, let me address something that may not be so obvious in Exodus you know, chapter 20. That is, when you think about the Sabbath, as you read through the Ten Commandments, I want to ask you a question. What is going on in your heart? When you hear those words, he sung, keep the Sabbath holy. I wonder what is happening to me in my heart? What, I wonder what is happening to you in your hearts? And maybe I can simply come to you today and suggest this. Brothers and sisters, I know that for many of us, some Sunday mornings are tough. You may have had a tough week at the end of a bad month, in the middle of a horrible year. And at that point, on that Sunday morning, going to church may be the last thing that your heart wants. Seeing all these smiling faces may actually increase your anxiety. You know, seeing the songs, it may ring hollow in your heart. And the sermon that you hear from the pulpit may seem distant, and you may feel alone in this room. And whether it's anxiety in your heart and mind, whether it's fatigue, apathy, or distraction, or disappointment, I want you to know that you are not alone. 
For those who are in Christ, those who are united by faith, it is truly impossible to be alone because you and I are brothers in faith. What that means, simply, is that there are people in this room that understand what it's like to wake up on Sunday morning and say to yourself, I would rather do anything than go to church. And there are people, whether it's in this room or in your Christian community or your family, your mom and dad or sisters or brothers, that would love to pray for you, to pray with you and just to tell you, brother, sister, I know what it's like to wake up on Sunday and say, I would rather stay in bed. I would rather just watch TV and just be alone. And if that's you today, look around and there are people who would pray with you, minister to you, and to love you. You know, recently, a young student asked me this question. She said, is it okay to go to church when you feel distant from God and when your faith is weak? Dear brothers and sisters, if that is you today, hear the word of God and be comforted. He is beckoning you. He's telling you, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Because this command to come to church, it's not for perfect people. It is for broken people who need to be with the Lord and with one another. God is telling you, are you tired today? Come to me, and I will give you rest. Do you feel distant? Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Do you feel apathetic? Hear my words, and your heart will burn within. Do you feel like you are wallowing in sin, and you just can't get out? Come to me, and be forgiven. Do you feel alone? Come to me and be united with a family that will last forever. You see, brothers and sisters, it is God's desire that you obey His commands in such a way that you will truly be able to say from the bottom of your heart, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. Now, so as we close, I'd like to point out something that perhaps you have noticed. And that is, wrapped up in this fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath holy are actually glimpses and previews of the gospel itself. And here's how this works. When God spoke to Moses and told him to rest on the Sabbath day, what Moses may have known is that this was a preview of our eternity. But he may not have had the full picture, but for you and I, we do have the full picture. And that full picture 
of what it means to rest on the Sabbath day is revealed to you and me through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered, how did Jesus get away with healing on the Sabbath day? Do you remember that story where the Pharisees come to him and accuse him of breaking the law? And I suppose it's true, yeah, technically he did break the commandment, but it's Jesus Christ. But how did he reason himself in doing that and get away with it? And how are we, therefore, supposed to emulate the work and the character of Jesus Christ? And what does the gospel have to do with all of this? And it goes something like this. When Jesus came, what did he tell you and me? He said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And when Jesus comes to fulfill it, he comes to fulfill it in such a way to rescue us from the curse of the law. We are no longer under the curse of the law, but rather we now have, through Christ, access to all the blessings of what the law was supposed to achieve. And that is why Jesus is able to heal on the Sabbath. When Jesus healed that person on the Sabbath, he was showing the world what it means, what it looks like to not rest in the law, but to rest in Christ. Be one with me, he's saying to people, and you will experience life. And what that means for you and me as Christians is that there's now a pivot shift. For the people of the Old Testament, they work days 1 through 6 to now rest on day 7. But for you and me, because we rest in Christ, we now rest on day 1. We begin our lives resting in Christ to find fulfillment and vision and calling in Him. Therefore, being released and launched for a work, for a life of work unto the glory of God. We are Christians. We rest first. We stand on the rock that we may be able to live for his glory. This Old Testament rhythm of work and rest and the, and the whole Sabbath day system, it was designed to anticipate our Lord Jesus Christ, what he would accomplish for you and for me. Because Jesus is the Son of God who worked faithfully and perfectly. And he secured the rest that you and I we all wanted, that we all needed. As the Israelites were wandering in the desert, they looked to the promised land, a symbol of rest, desiring it. And Jesus Christ came, and he secured it for you and for me. And so by believing in Christ, in his work and in his person, and resting in him, we have access to this rest for today, for our future, in faith, so that we can all live together, obeying the Sabbath principle, not alone, but as a community. So brothers and sisters, let's hear the command of God once more. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, 
we, we live in such a way where we know that we have access to this incredible eternal rest through Christ. But we also look forward, O oh God, to our eternity when we will be with you, beholding you. And I pray that you would instill in our hearts and our minds a true desire, a, a, a yearning for this Sabbath rest. And thank you, O oh Lord, for Christ who provided that for us. And Lord, just practically speaking, I pray for us as men and women of God. If there are anyone here that has a hard time um, feeling a, a, that rest in their hearts and minds regarding Sundays, I pray that you would minister to those individuals. May we as brothers and sisters in faith be able to care for one another, to encourage one another, that we may keep the Sabbath day holy together. Thank you, O God, we pray in Jesus' name.